When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 25th. Day 10 of the 2023 Australian Open is officially in the books, meaning the semifinals are now set. At the year's first major event on today's show, I want to recap the final four quarterfinals we saw unfold in the singles competition, offer my thoughts on all sorts of storylines that have emerged. Certainly, the biggest Cinderella storyline of this year's opening major has to be the run of Magdalene. She had never reached a second week at a major in her career. She's now into the semifinals here at this Australian Open. She's earned wins over so many of the top players in the world, whether it be Conteve, Alexandrova, Garcia, now Pliskova here in her quarterfinal match. Obviously, if you're going to rack up that many impressive scalps, you're obviously doing a lot of things well on the court. I want to explore what those things are here on today's show. Of course, a player who has been exceptional throughout the course of her career, but in particular to start this 2023 season. Arena Sabalenka looks like she's ready to take that final step. And yes, she won in straight sets over Donna Vekic yesterday, but if you actually watch that match, got a feel for the rhythm of their quarter final battle, you know that match was far closer than the scoreline indicated, particularly that first set. And yet, even when faced with adversity, even when faced with her first shaky service performance of the year, Sabalenka's best is still better, in my opinion, than anyone else is best. And I will continue to make the case for why here on today's show. Those were your two women's semifinals, of course, on the men's side. It's Novak Djokovic's world. We're all just living in it. The nine-time Australian Open champion looks primed for number 10. Another straight set victory for the world number four as he knocks out Andre Rublev. Now, again, Glass half full, glass half empty. Glass half full, ugh. Novak looks back when he plays like this. He's still unequivocally the best player in the world. I'll explain why this performance against Rublev is a reminder of that fact here on today's show. On the flip side, you look for Rublev. It's glass half full, glass half empty. Another quarterfinal for Andre Rublev. You face Novak Djokovic, is it really a disappointment if you get eliminated? I would argue no. That said, certainly I am sure he was hoping and expecting to at least get one set in that match. That said, I want to look at some stats for Andre Rublev. What has he done over the past three, four years as he's established himself at the top of the game? Has he reached his ceiling? Is there still more to come? Let's explore that a little bit here on today's show. And then, I mean last, but certainly not least... Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, 
two Americans, two guys we've had the privilege of having over on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Obviously for us, Ben is particularly special as felt like we had an intimate look at his college career, having gotten to cover and call matches for so many of his successful moments while a part of Florida. I was on the broadcast for his NCAA singles championship. We watched him and his meteoric rise through the challenger ranks throughout the course of last year. He was excellent last night, and yet a guy who one of our first 10 podcasts here at Cracked Rackets centered on. We had a Next Gen American series, one of the Americans we thought we forecasted as a potential top 25, top 20 guy who could be competing in the latest stages of major events was certainly Tommy Paul who's a former junior French Open champion, a two-time junior slam finalist, a guy with tons of pedigree, and a guy whom expectations have been placed upon throughout the course of his career. Well, guess what, folks? He's delivering on those expectations, particularly here at this Australian Open as he reaches the first semifinal of his career at the majors via a four-set win over Ben. Want to look at the stats for Tommy. It's not just this event. This seems to be the new guy that he is, and we've seen it now for at least six months. On the flip side, so many positive takeaways for Shelton, not only coming out of this event, but coming out of this match in particular. We'll talk about those here on today's show. So only four matches. It's not going to be the longest show. Still plenty of things I think you listeners will enjoy here today. So with that in mind, before I get into my thoughts on day number 10 of this 2023 Australian Open, first off, a shout out to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out. If you're looking for more tennis content to scratch your tennis itch, we've got plenty of it for you here at Cracked Rackets, whether it be over on the Great Shot podcast feed, where we not only preview every day of this Australian Open, I offer my predictions. We also have a plethora of college tennis content for all of you listeners. Who might the next Ben Shelton be? Tune in to this 2023 college tennis season to find out. We'll have college tennis action for you all starting this weekend as it's the ceremonial kickoff to the 2023 season, the ITA kickoff weekend. Just about every one of the top Division One teams in the country will be competing, and we're going to have a lot of it available for you for free over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. And look, things have slowed down at the Australian Open. you got to fill 12 hours of the day with tennis now. How do you plan on doing that? Do it with some college tennis. Do it with us here at Cracked Rackets. Be on the lookout for that Friday through Monday over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, a shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes it all possible. And a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of our efforts here at Cracked Rackets. We are so fortunate to be able to look day in, day out at everything that happens across levels in the tennis world because of the support we get from them. And guess what? They support tennis players everywhere by supplying the best equipment, the lowest prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's look at our final four quarterfinal matches here at this 2023 Australian Open. Let's start with the shocker of the day. It delivered me my one ace of the day lost and what was otherwise in you know, one in one day, we're 18, 14, and one overall for the event, by the way, which I feel like anytime you're over 500, you're winning, but I can do better. So I apologize to any of you who do take the time to listen to our GSP Ace of the Day program and perhaps even play along with us. That said, you know who killed me? 
multiple times throughout the course of this tournament. Magda freaking Lynette. I mean, she's been the underdog now in four consecutive matches. And just listen to these wins on her way to the semifinals. It starts out with a very impressive victory for Lynette as she knocks out, obviously, you know, again, maybe not a a top contender given her form over the last six months, but to get a three-set win over Annette Conteve, who I thought was playing well, despite what her record was in Australia. Three-set win there in round number two. Straight sets over Alexandrova. Straight sets over Caroline Garcia, who outside of Sabalenka was probably everyone's second favorite entering the second week of this event in the women's singles draw. And then she goes down a very quick break, one love, but ultimately a three-and-five win in her quarterfinal match over Karolina Pliskova. And the statistics from this one are remarkable. Now, certainly the biggest number people will turn to, they each had 18 winners. The biggest difference, Magdalenette, 16 unforced errors. Karolina Pliskova, 36 unforced errors. I don't think that tells the entire story of this match, and it doesn't do justice to how well Magda Lynette executed throughout the course of this one. I do want to turn to the rally analysis stats available via the Australian Open website, and I think this does a better job of depicting. You know, again, I I could point you to countless examples throughout the course of the match. Go watch the extended highlights on YouTube. You'll see precisely what I mean the zero to four shot rallies, which in men's tennis is over 75%, just over of the rallies in women's tennis, still over four, uh, 50% go zero to four. Magda Lynette dominated the zero to four shot rallies. She won 47 of her 70 total points in this match in zero to four shot rallies. She outnumbered Pliskova 47 to 26. And again, why is that zero to four shot number relevant? Well, the first shot is the serve. The second shot is the return. The first shot, you know, the third shot, excuse me, is the first strike, first forehand, first ground stroke for the server. The second ball is either, you know, again, that fourth ball, excuse me, Let's try that again. Westoff, give me a rewind sound effect. I promise I'm going to do much better this time in explaining what that zero to four shot rally category is. So again, shot number one is the serve. Shot number one is uh, number two. Let's try the rewind one more time. Shot number one is the serve. Shot number two is the return. Oftentimes, particularly in men's tennis, the serve can go unreturned. Shot number three is the first strike, as it's referred to. The first ground stroke, maybe a server is serving and volleying, but the first ball touched by the server, that is not the serve. That's ball number three. Ball number four, the second shot hit by the returner. And again, why do so many rallies go into that zero to four shot category? Because so many of these top pros, men's or women's side, they hit their first serve so well. There's not much the returner can do. It's an easy put away ball. They either draw an error from their opponent or they hit an outright winner on that third shot. That's why we see so many zero to four shot rallies. I hope, I pray to God, that explanation was certainly better than the first one. Uh, But the point is, Magdalena dominated that first strike zero to four category against Pliskova. And I think manufactured many of the shots that went down as the 36 unforced errors for Pliskova throughout the course of the match. For Lynette, she mixed up her target so well. In particular, Lynette's best side is that backhand wing. And I thought the combination she had the most success with 
with was the serve out wide on the deuce side, followed by a first backhand that she took a little bit early, a little bit on the rise, and just hit to the open space and continuously forced Carolina Pliskova on the run. And rather than play the five, six, seven, eight shot rallies, what Pliskova chose to do is pull the trigger on a ball that she could have very well put back in play, but instead tried to be a bit more aggressive on. How many times in this match did we see Pliskova stretched outside the alley trying to go big with her forehand down the line? And sometimes it connected, particularly in this second set. And look, overall in this match, there were only four breaks of serve, you know, uh, three for Magdalenette, one for Karolina Pliskova. This was very much a first strike, front foot, serve, return, matter, most sort of match. And Magdalenette executed that better by consistently getting Pliskova stretched across the court. And, you know, again, for Lynette, Oh, she's hitting her backhand so well. Just, again, the ability to take that ball early, beat you to the spot, and change direction down the line, which I think she did so willingly early on in this match, particularly after going down that quick one-love break that Pliskova felt the need to get a bit, a little bit more aggressive in response to what Lynette was displaying. But, you know, again... It was a very, very narrow second set and one loose game from Karolina Pliskova. All of the sudden, Magdalenette is serving for the second set. Pliskova, there's, you know, the 18 winners against the 36 unforced errors compared to the 18-16, it sounds like, and factually, Pliskova gave away 20 more free points on unforced errors. That said, a lot of those unforced errors came within Lynette's service games, and I do think Carolina Pliskova did well protecting her serve in this match. She won 74% of her first serve points, made 64% of her first serves. The problem was whenever she got stretched into the outer third and she only won six of 21 second serve points, she just didn't have the answers, wasn't able to find her range, whether it was going big down the line to try and take time away from Lynette or even find her way working back to neutral. There were times when she'd throw up the bump lobs. Lynette did a great job of waiting for that ball to bounce, getting Pliskova back stretched into the outer third again. Lynette was physically sound enough to absorb enough of first strikes from Pliskova, ask enough questions to put herself in a position to work her way back into this match, or uh, to ask questions in the Pliskova service games, excuse me, and then protected her first serve well enough to extend her leads after asking enough questions and protect those leads as well. The highlight of this match was the joy on Magdalenette's face after she had won the match, as if she was in disbelief. And look, she was 2-7 and seven in her career against Pliskova. Yes, she won their last matchup at Billie Jean King, but she had lost to her the two times they'd played previously in major events. And, you know, I'm sure even in Lynette's head, after beating Conteve, you think, okay, this is good. Then she beats Alexandrova. She's into her first, second week at a major after 30 major uh main draw appearances. This is her 30th. She finally makes a second week. You know, again, okay, you beat Alexandrova. Now you're into the second week. What a miracle run. Wait, now I've beaten Caroline Garcia, who was up a very quick break on me in set number one as well, but I worked my way back there. This certainly can't happen against Magda, uh, against Pliskova again, can it? But, you know, down one love. Lynette gets her rhythm. She starts getting Pliskova stretched. She stays disciplined. She changes directions when the moment calls for it. Again, there's nothing that's going to wow you about Magda Lynette. She's just very solid at everything. And you look for Magda Lynette, who's made seven quarterfinals now over the last 52 weeks. Those seven quarterfinals, again, uh, over these last 52 weeks, she's made 28 
in her career. So Magda Lynette is 30 years old. She turns 31 at the start of February. She's been playing pro tennis on the uh, at the tour level since roughly 2011, 2012. You know, really 2013 is when she got rolling as a top 100, I suppose, player. But seven of her tour level quarterfinals, a quarter of them, have come in the past year. It's not just a one slam wonder result. Of course, getting to the semifinals of a slam will help. But even since July, Prague, Cleveland, Chennai, Seoul, now here in Australia, prolonged success for uh, Magda Lynette, who, look, is never going to blow you away analytically. Even through this win streak, Magda Lynette actually holding 79.1% of the time to start this season. That's ridiculous. Breaking serve 37.9% of the time. That would be a top 15 number as well. That is the real thing. Against Garcia, against Pliskova, against Alexandrova, Conteve, she has protected her serve better in this event than I have ever seen in her career, even when she was playing extraordinarily well to end last season. All the credit in the world to Magda Lynette by reaching the semifinals. She's up to a new career high, number 22 in the live rankings. You're 31 years old. You don't have to worry. You know, you're getting into all the events you want to play for the next six months until you have some points to defend to end next season, but uh, to end this season, excuse me. But man, Cinderella story. Again, I just want to point out you look for Magda Lynette, you know, overall in her career at the majors, overall record to this point 25 and 38 overall in her career, 25 and 38 at the majors. She is. 13 and 17 in her career in first round matches. And yet in this 30th major, she has caught lightning in a bottle. Credit to Magda Lynette, who, by the way, for what it's worth, Lynette, 9 and 35 in her career against top 20 opponents. Um, Three of those nine victories have come in a single event. A third of her top 20 wins, all here at this Australian Open. Of course, you look for her now against the top 10. She's 4-17, and going to have another top 10 opponent here in Arena Sabalenka. For what it's worth, she's beaten her last two top 10 opponents, both of them coming in slam events. Oh, I mean, it's it's really fun. you got to give all the credit in the world, uh, certainly, to Magda Lynette, and this is the sort of story. Again, you you all it feels like we've gotten at least one of these Cinderella runs over the course of the past 5 years at just about every major we've seen unfold and again for someone definition of a veteran, Magda Lynette to have this happen at this moment. Uh certainly incredible. You look on the flip side, glass half empty if you're Cla- Carolina Pliskova. Uh you know, again, this was a very winnable opportunity. Certainly, you were the higher-ranked player. You were 7-2 and two in the career head-to-head. She had yet to lose a, slant, uh, a set, had Pliskova in her four victories leading up to the quarterfinal. Pliskova's 27-24 and 24 overall in her last 52 weeks. She's not that far removed from a five-match losing streak. That said, she's now made the quarterfinals in her last two majors. If you actually look at who she lost to during that streak, Vekic in San Diego, Vekic 16-4 and four in her last 20, Rabakina still alive in the semifinals, Magda Lynette still alive in the semifinals, Belinda Bencic has played Arena Sabalenka closer than anyone. She won a title week two of the season, and Yelena Ostapenko quarterfinalist at this Australian Open. And then Danielle Collins, by the way, the other one, uh, who loses in three sets to a player who's still alive in this event. Yeah, like, 
again, in context, Plisko is playing pretty good ball right now. Is it top five tennis in the world? No, it is not. Is she very clearly one of the 20 best players in the world still and absolutely on the right serving day can hit certainly lesser opponents, but even players of her caliber off the court? Yes, she still has that gear to her. And again, you look for Carolina Pliskova for what it's worth since the start of this COVID era, August 2020. I like to refer to it because obviously that's when the restart occurred. Uh, Pliskova 70 and 48 overall, but more importantly, 25 and 10. At the slams, so 25 and 10 in her last 10 slams, she's made at least the quarterfinals in four of them as well. Glass half full for Carolina Pliskova, who starts to regain her health, regain her form. Disappointing loss, but the story coming out of this one, glass half full, is this miraculous run for Magda Lynette. Again, that's quarterfinal one. Let's move on to quarterfinal two. Going to spend a little bit less time on this one because I've spent so much time covering Arena Sabalenka really over the last three years. And how can we not? You look for Arena Sabalenka, who's now 39 and 19 over her last 52 weeks. She's 116 and 50, won 70% of her matches since the start of the 2020 season. She's also 33 and 10 at the majors. That means in her last 11 majors, She's won 33 total matches. Do the math. What's 33 divided by 11? It's three. If you're averaging three uh, wins per major, you are making the second week of every major that you play. And while Sabalenka's only made six second weeks, and let's be clear, six in your last 11, not too shabby. She's also made at least the semifinals in four of her last 11 majors. And probably would be 5 of 12 if she would have been allowed to have played the 2022 Wimbledon, given she made the semifinals there in 2021 and has now made the semifinals at the past two majors as well. Transcendent Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis. That's what Arena Sabalenka is capable of playing. And she didn't have it at all times yesterday. And again, yesterday was the first day the double fault yep, sort of snuck in. She hit nine double faults in the match. It's the first time she's hit double faults on over 10% of her serves since the start of this 2023 season. That said, A, she made 70% of her first serves. Uh, excuse me, she won 70% of her first serve points. B, part of the reason she felt the need to be so aggressive on the second serve was because of how well Donna Vekic was striking the ball. Vekic taking everything early on the rise. It was a very clear game plan. Take time away from Sabalenka. Just, it's better to go big down the line and miss than it is to leave a ball in the center of the court for Sabalenka to strike. That said, as aggressive as Vekic was, Sabalenka was even better. You know, 21 well-struck winners for Donna Vekic in this match, 38 for Arena Sabalenka, 25 unforced errors for Vekic, 35 for Sabalenka, 9 unforced errors for Sabalenka, 13 for Donna Vekic, who you could tell felt that exact same sort of pressure as Arena Sabalenka has a rhythm on return as I have never seen before in her career. And, you know, right now, Arena Sabalenka, it's only what, she won four matches in Adelaide, five here. It's only nine matches that she's played. She's breaking serve 39% of the time through those nine matches. That would be a top 15 number on the WTA Tour. That would also be the highest number of her career if extended throughout the rest of this season. 
And that matches what I'm seeing with my eyes, just how well she sh- she's striking the return, how cleanly she's hitting that ball. It's for winners, outright winners. Or, you know, if Vekic manages to guess right or, you know, manages to scoop a ball up off her feet, now it's just a resting approach shot, which Sabalenka ha- is cleaning up better right now than I think she's ever cleaned up in her career. And look, I don't want to discount what Donna Vekic did because Donna Vekic essentially matched Sabalenka's plus one capability, at least when she land first serves, each of these players winning over two-thirds of their first serve points. But Vekic winning 51 of the zero to four shot rallies. Sabalenka won 55 for what it's worth. There were 148 points in this match, 106 of them. So over two-thirds were zero to four shot rallies. Play big early in the rally, assert control of the rally. If not, you know your opponent's going to and you're going to be on the chase. And again, these players both attack so well that neither of them are going to be able to consistently dig their way out of disadvantageous positions. The difference was Sabalenka could do a little bit more. She could absorb the first strike of Donna Vekic a little bit better than Vekic could. She could, you know, redirect a ball with so much pace that, again, Vekic after being on her front foot, lost the threat, or Vekic just wasn't quite as consistent in her ability to swing as freely given the pace she was facing of Sabalenka versus Sabalenka, who, again, was certainly phased uh, or was certainly affected by the Vekic pace, but was rather unfazed in how it forced her to execute. You could tell it was Vekic who had to make the adjustments. Even though Vekic wants to be aggressive, I thought there were times when she was recklessly aggressive, almost out of necessity, because if not, Sabalenka was there driving through the ball. Again, this was a really fun 3-2 and two match that went an hour 49 minutes, and there was a very long back and forth in that first set. You look in particular, yes, I know Sabalenka was able to take the first break in the match, but you know ultimately, again, uh, it was Vekic who was able to slowly but surely work her way back, and I think it was you know Sabalenka went up 3-1, Vekic immediately breaks 4-3-2, a couple of well-struck returns, and awry Sabalenka moments throw her off, and you know, again, a long hold there for three all, but credit to Sabalenka who found her best in the biggest moments and just continues to, whether it's the first ball, the second ball, the third ball in the rally. If her feet are set, she's going for the line. She's going for the redirect. And more often than not, she's asserting control of the match. So again, you look for Arena Sabalenka, 39 and 19 now overall in her last 52 weeks. She has now made uh, a fourth slam quarterfinal, two at the U.S. Open, one at Wimbledon, now here at the Australian Open as well. And look, in her previous matches, she lost to Iga she lost to Fernandez. She lost to Pliskova. Yes, Leila Fernandez was unseated, but she's pro. I mean, again, given the run she had been on at the U.S. Open, actually, it's not too dissimilar from this Magdalenette match. That said, for what it's worth, said like a two-no in the career head-to-head. And if you want to hear that preview, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Uh, Sabalenka looks excellent. She's the odds-on favorite, plus 100 to win the event. She's a 49.6% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Makes a lot of sense, given, again, that match is very much what we've seen unfold with our eyes. For Donna Vekic, huge event. Huge event for the 26-year-old. She's back up to number 34 in the world. You're getting into everything you want to play to start this season. And look, Donna Vekic is 16-4 and four in her last 20. All of those matches coming September 26th or later. That means she's 21-20 and 20 
and that means she has 500 ball to defend for essentially the next nine months. And with the level we've seen from her against 16 and four wins over Pliskova, Sabalenka, Sakari, Jung Shui, Samsonova, Fruvertova, this really competitive match we see against Sabalenka, obviously played Ego really close in San Diego as well. She's imposing her will. She's taking the ball early, striking the ball confidently. I don't think she's going to be upset with how she played against Sabalenka. Sabalenka just had a little bit more firepower at her disposal, was a little bit more effective and more explosive with the first serve to create some free, uh, just a few more free points for herself. It was a really good match. Like, again, Donna Vekic has nothing to be ashamed of. And now you're back in the ballgame. 26 years old, number 34 in the world. You get to play what you want to play. That ultimately is what it's all about. And again, how about this for your storylines? Two slam champions. You've got Rabakina, Azarenka taking on one another at the top of the draw. You've got two players looking for their first slam final in Lynette Sabalenka. Boy, the idea of a Sabalenka Rabakina, the amount of firepower in that final, or again, any way you spin it, this is going to be a fun weekend. Buckle the seatbelts. Get excited for tonight's Wednesday matches. Uh, women's single semifinals again previewed over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Let's move on now to the men's side of the equation. Let's start with Novak Djokovic, who entering his third round match against Alex Diemenauer. Obviously, he had the thigh issue. He had talked about the injury not holding up so great through his first three matches. He wins that match three, uh, you know, in convincing, straight sad fashion. De- uh, Djokovic goes from, he was a min- uh, excuse me, he was a minus 125 favorite before that third round. Going into the Demon Hour match, he had gotten to plus 110, and I texted one of my cousins, should we double down and double up on Djokovic to win because he was plus odds before the start of the new year? And we didn't, and we should have, because now he's down to minus 300 odds. And you can understand why, as for Novak Djokovic, it's a 45th, 45th slam semifinal. Excuse me, 44th? No, 45th, right? And there's a withdrawal somewhere in there. No, excuse me. It's a 44th slam semifinal, at least according to Tennis Abstract. Leave it all in, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. For Novak Djokovic, I believe he only trails Roger Federer in terms of most slam semifinals in a career. And, I mean, you look for Novak Djokovic, he's lost one set. It was a 7-6 set. He probably should have won against Kuakaud. Um and he hasn't dropped a set since. You know, he's now on, what, 11 in a row. He's been pushed to one breaker in his past 11 sets. One, two, and four over Andre Rublev in the quarterfinals. And with all due respect to Rublev, who created some breakpoint chances for himself, I believe in particular. It was two all, either the, or it was 3-2 Djokovic up a break, either second or third set. Fifth, it was, what, the 15-40 point? I think this was the second set. You've all seen the clip circulating on, on social media. Rublev has a really good look at an inside-out forehand, but Djokovic just perfectly anticipates it. He absorbs the pace. He redirects the pace. He gets things back to neutral. Then he steps up and just lasers a backhand winner that you could just see Rublev being like, all right, it's just one of those nights for Novak where he's sliding a little bit better. You know, again, he's able to extend rallies, put returns in play when he needs to do that. But the biggest revelation for Djokovic, and it's not a revelation, but the thing he is doing even better in this form of himself. Again, this is his Michael Jordan second three-peat late 90s moment with the Bulls. The new reinvention 
is servebot Novak Djokovic. And again, five he saves all five break points that he faces. He wins 80% of his first serve points. It's the third time he's done that in this event. He's over 50% on second serves for the fourth time in fifth, five matches in this event, perhaps. Equally impressive, you look for Djokovic, 14 aces on the day. He, again, lost just 11, just 11 first serve points on what, like, he lost 11 first serve points in about 11 service games throughout the course of the match. 16 of 32 on the second serve. 32 winners against 21 unforced errors. Rublev didn't play poorly. And certainly when Rublev was able to land a first serve, have a good look at a clean first forehand, there were times when Djokovic said, too good, you beat me to the spot. Djokovic was forced to guess because of how effective Rublev is with that first serve. But Rublev just went down too many early breaks in each of the three sets. I mean, he went down an early break in each of the three sets. And, you know, again, you could just, A, it had to do with Novak's relentless execution, how precise he continues to be on his approach shot. Djokovic, a 25 point advantage on the zero to four shot rallies. Djokovic, 70 to 45. If you're not beating Djokovic zero to four, you're certainly not going to beat him on the extended rallies. Djokovic plus five in the extended rally category over Rublev on this day. Novak was excellent. Again, it's how willing he is to approach the net and how effective it's how effective the first strike is. It just feels like his approach shot goes to the right location with perfect depth on every occasion. I mean, he only went 11 of 15 according to the stats on the at the net and that's because his approach shot so frequently generated an error out of Andre Rublev. And again, Rublev was smart with how aggressive he was with his forehand, particularly on uh, behind that first serve. I would imagine of his 26 winners, let's see, six of them were aces. I'd imagine 16 of the other 20 came as forehand winners on plus one opportunities. But Novak just absorbs better than any human should. The, the ability to hit the bump lob or to hit the bump return just on the baseline to get things back to neutral, to give him time to reset his movement. Djokovic is in top form. And again, 44 slam semifinals now for him. According to Tennis Abstract, he's 52-7 and seven over his last 52 weeks. That 52-7 and seven mark, an 88 win percentage, which, by the way, would be 4.5% better than his career average. He's holding serve 89.2% of the time. That's a top five number on the ATP Tour and 3.2% above his career average. The break percentage, 29.2, which would rank fifth on the ATP Tour and is 3% below his career average. But again, he's not top 10 in both hold and serve percentage. He's top five in both hold and uh, break percentage. The only player you could say that about in the ATP top 50, 52 and seven, 52 and seven, just very quietly, very casually. Novak Djokovic, just a ho-hummer of a 15-match win streak that, by the way, you're hearing that for the first time here on today's show. Has anyone brought up the fact that Novak has now won 15 consecutive matches? Just casually, 15 consecutive and what? I mean, again, I was going to say, I was going to go through the numbers. He's won 52 of his last 59 is where I was ultimately going to get. But 15 matches in a row, just casually. I saw the number. I think it was his 25th consecutive win at the Australian Open, which makes sense because he's two more away from, well, no, hold on, seven times Four would be 28. He needs two more. So it must have been his 26th consecutive victory at the Australian Open. Or maybe he got a retirement thrown somewhere in there as well. I know it it either matched or just surpassed Andre Agassi for the Australian Open consecutive matches one record. And 
I mean, again, this is a guy, the only guy in ATP Tour history who has won over 80 matches at all four majors and is looking for a 10th Australian Open title here. You look for him at the Australian Open in his career. Novak Djokovic, 90-8. and 90-8 and eight overall at this event. He hasn't lost a match here, yeah, since the 2018 round of 16 to Hyun Chung. So let's see, 7 in 2019, 7 more in 2020, 7 more in 2021. That would be 21 consecutive matches plus the 5 he's won here. 26, folks. That's how we do math. A 26-match win streak on the Australian Open, that's not even going to be the first line of his Hall of Fame career. If anyone has not been eliminated from the GOAT discussion yet, it is certainly Novak Djokovic into the semifinals, the prohibitive favorite again, according to Tennis Abstract, a 64% favorite to get uh, to the, uh, excuse me, to ultimately lift the trophy, according to our friends at DraftKings right now. Again, we're about like five days removed from Djokovic being at plus 110 odds right now. Djokovic, (laughs) I said minus 300. I was wrong. He's minus 450 to capture the title. So credit to Djokovic on the Rublev side of things. And again, this is something we'll unpack further. But since the start of August 2020, Rublev, 134 and 53. He's won 72% of his matches for two and a half years now. He's 31 and 10 at the majors. So his last 10 slams played, he's averaging again three wins a slam. That means he's getting to the second week at just about all of them. And lo and behold, Andre Rublev, seven round of 16 appearances in his last 10 slam main draws, six quarterfinals in those last six main, uh, 10 main draws as well. So at the last 10 slams, six times, he has been one of the last eight players standing. That's what we've learned about Andre Rublev. He's a top eight sort of guy. You look for Rublev in his career, whether it be, you know, again, this is a guy who overall has made the tour finals now in his career. What? I'm trying to think of what it is overall. He's made tour finals in his career uh, on three different occasions. The last three years, that's what I was looking for. He did it in 2020, 2021, 2022. Last 10 majors, all of which have come since the start of 2020, he has made six quarterfinals. He has, you know, he's been a top eight guy three consecutive years. He is clearly, if you're going to define what tier two looks like, it looks like Andre Rublev, where you're always at the biggest stages competing for the biggest prizes. And yet you look for Rublev, this might be the stat that people hold against him now. 0-6 in his quarterfinal matches. And if you were to create the dichotomy between he and Stefano Tsitsipas, Tsitsipas 6-0 in his six quarterfinals. Rublev 0-6. That's why Tsitsipas probably has elevated himself into that elite tier in a way. Rublev just hasn't quite been able to yet. And yet that said, again, six quarterfinals. In his last 10 majors, three consecutive years at the ATP Tour Finals, Andre Rublev is unequivocally a litmus test of what it means to get entry into the top 10 because his serve, his forehand, if you are not athletic enough, if you don't have a weapon to disrupt it, you are not going to be able to beat him. You look for Andre Rublev 
in his career, again, 0-6 in these major quarterfinals. You look for him overall against top 10 opponents in his career. Andre Rublev now uh, with this loss to Novak Djokovic moves. And again, it's top 10 opponents. They're the best of the best. But Andre Rublev now 19-28 and 28 overall in his career against the top 10. Although it's worth noting that he lost uh, 2, 4, 6, 9 of his first 10. So, what? 18 and 19 overall against the top 10 since that 9 out of 10 streak. But it's tough. I mean, again, you look for him against top 10 opponents, I suppose, at the majors. Andre Rubov actually 5 and 8 overall. That's not bad, although, yeah, that's not bad. You know what? He lost to Novak Djokovic. I'm not writing anything off. Andre Rublev's the definition of a Tier 2 guy right now. Does he have to prove us a little bit more if he ever wants to elevate to Tier 1? Absolutely. The second serve continues to be a concern. Djokovic crushed it last night. Rublev winning just 32% of his second serve points. But again, Andre Rublev is also still just 25 years old. Doesn't turn 26 till October. It does feel like there's still low-hanging fruit for him to continue to improve. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Last, but certainly not least, the Battle of the Americans. Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton. Look, not a ton of tennis to analyze in this one in the sense that it's the same story from start to finish. Ben Shelton, as I tweeted out last night, has a serve that will keep him competitive in just about every match that he plays for the remainder of his career. Shelton, 24 aces in yesterday's four-set match, 24 aces. You know, again, he only made 58% of his first serves. You give yourself 24 free points, you're going to find yourself competitive in every match that you played. And Shelton wins 76% of his first serve points, hits 42 winners throughout the course of the match. And yet, you know, again, the biggest storyline is that Tommy Paul is now not only a high enough caliber athlete where he's able to have the strength, the speed, the fluidity to absorb, redirect, and at least brace the impact of those Shelton weapons, but Tommy has now become that complete player. We always forecasted he might be where not only can he do all these things athletically, defensively, improvisationally, but... He imposes his own will, imposes his own damage. You look in set number one, a set that featured no breaks of serve. Tommy lost just six points on serve in six service matches, uh, service games. You know, Ben only lost 12, but it was very clear. You know, Tommy was the one getting through with love holds or holds at 15, got pushed in his final service game. I think Ben won two of his six points in that game, but like... Tommy was cruising. The plus one was firing 16 winners against six unforced errors in that opening set. You look at, you know, again, from a rally perspective, Shelton, who's so explosive with that serve, hits that kick serve. Even the second serve kick serve would get up on Tommy's shoulder. And, you know, Ben still in this match, 92 points, one in the zero to four shot rallies. Tommy Paul was at 91. But let's be clear. Tommy matched Ben's execution and dare I say even outdid it because he didn't have the 24 aces to turn to. Tommy matched that, even exceeded it. 
in the plus one category and that ability to play first strike and Tommy's ability to do that at an elite level combined with all the athleticism combined with all the fluidity you look for Tommy overall in this match and yeah I know Tommy was up a break in the third blinked for four all blinked again at 5-6 to give Ben the break for the set, but you look for Tommy overall in the match. 43 winners against 26 unforced errors, and 11 of those 26 came in set number three. So averaged five unforced errors a set in his three sets he won. A 7-6-6-3-5-7-6-4 win over Shelton to advance to his first major semifinal. He abandoned his backswing and his ability to just literally put the backhand on his hip, swing through it, and still generate pace and depth. It just looks so fluid. It just looks so athletic. It looks different than what us mere mortals are capable of. Of course, you look um, for Tommy at the net throughout the course of this match and not just the unbelievable volley he hits two hold for six all the first set, the the forehand short angle cross court drop volley. But, you know, again, Tommy, uh, for the match, 23 of 28 at the net, 82%. Shelton was very good there as well, 25 of 36, but Tommy was, again, as good in that category. And, you know, again, Ben's got to develop plan B, plan C, plan D at an elite level. I already think they're pretty good because Ben's so explosive. And, oh, my God, to hear the McEnroe's gushing about his racket speed, gushing about the sound that comes off the racket when he makes contact with the ball, it just confirms everything we've said here at Crack Rackets for years now. When you watch him play, it's just more explosive. It's just different than what the other players, even the elite of the elite, are capable of doing. Ben's in that tier from an eye test, again, racket speed perspective, But as we've talked about with Ben when we spoke with him on the Cracked Interviews podcast, learning to slow down, condensing the backswing on the forehand side, just, again, being able to play defense so it doesn't have to be 12 feet behind the baseline but maybe 6 feet behind the baseline because Ben does have all these incredible skills. And figuring out, by the way, when the best time is to mix in the drop shots he loves to hit and you know when it's time to pull the trigger on the inside in with an explosive forehand because Ben is so quick he can get around that ball and just explode through it when he has time. Time. It's the best questions to be asking about a 20-year-old, and Tommy was effusive in his praise of Ben following the match. And I mean, how could you not be 20 years old? He's now 43 in the world. We joked, oh, he'll be top 50 come the start of June when he's got some points to defend. No, 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 he's top 50 right now, and he still has no points to defend until the start of June. He's getting into Indian Wells. He's getting into Miami. He's getting into anything he wants to know. Ben Shelton is 43 in the world. That is insane for, again, a kid who has zero points to defend. Still has never played a clay court match, never played a grass court match. As you have all learned, first trip outside the United States, and he's top 50 in the world. That's not supposed to happen anymore in this era, and yet it does. So we know how good Ben is, 45-14 and 14 over his last 52 weeks. Quarterfinals now at a major. He's 6-4 in his career against top 100 opponents. 6-4 in his career against the top 100. And he's a top 50 player in the world. Credit to Ben. Beat who he was supposed to beat. You look for Ben overall in this event. Ben was broken, let's see, 3-4. Seven times. Ben was broken seven times in five matches. Yeah. Top 50 player in the world. Enough said. On the flip side, I mean, the joy in Tommy's face. He's never been the most emotional guy. I mean, he's always been fiery, intense. He's got that perfect jaw, 
I mean, uh, Tommy's a good-looking guy. I think we all agree on that fact. And looks like your classic backyard backwards hat athlete, right, as well. So fluid. And yet, to see the the intensity, to see him suffer the yips at the end of the third set, and then the relief and the joy he felt, and just the giggles he had in the post-match press conference, talking about his mom and the joy of getting through to this stage, the dream that is playing in the second weekend of a slam event. This is a guy who, a former world junior number one, former junior slam champion, and yet saw his peers, Tiafo, Fritz, Opelka, all break into the top 100 before he did. Tommy needed to play challengers as recently as 2019 to you know w- secure a wild card into the French Open get his way into the top 100 and look now that he has he has firmly ensconced himself amongst those ranks Tommy since the start of Queens Club which was June 13th so a little over 6 months ago 29 and 14 overall over a 6 month stretch he has won 2 thirds of his matches over 6 months what do we say here at Cracked Rackets? The two-thirds rule. If you win two-thirds of your matches at any level, you're getting to quarterfinals of events. What does it mean if you're getting to quarterfinals of events? You're continuing to move up the rankings. You're continuing to get to play against the highest level, against higher level or the highest level players eventually. Again, now you're playing in freaking quarterfinals, semifinals of major events, and that's where Tommy now finds himself. It's his second, second week in the past three majors. Did it at Wimbledon. Does it here now at the Australian Open, making the semifinals? There are three top 20 Americans right now, all 25 or younger. Fritz, Tiafo, Tommy. Cord is 26, he's 22 years old. Brooksby's 38, he's 22 years old. Shelton's 43, he's 20 years old. Wolf is 47, 24. Opelka, 48, 25. Nakashima, 49, 21. All these guys are born 1996 or later. 1997. To be specific, because, you know, again, this group is even that much younger. It's going to be a fun decade, and Ben will be a part of that. Paul has certainly cemented himself as a part of that. And you look for Tommy, he's holding 83.1% of the time, breaking serve 26.1 over the course of the last six months. That would make him one of just nine players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. That's what you see with your eyes a guy who is good at everything, athletic, great hands. Calm, steady. He's been focused, though. That's been the biggest difference over the last six months. There have been no blips. Again, credit to Tommy Paul into the semifinals of a major for the first time in his career. But now it's the test of test of Novak Djokovic, who I think we all agree, and I say this kindly, Djokovic is probably the highest aspiration of Tommy Paul, the best version of that athleticism, that well-rounded skill set. Everything Tommy's good at, Novak's a little bit better at. Tommy will have to push himself. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. And for what it's worth, Novak, an 87.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract right now. But we'll save that breakdown for tomorrow's GSP Ace of the Day segment as, again, for your previews of each and every day remaining at this year's opening major. Head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A reminder, coming up this weekend, ITA kickoff action, ceremonial start to the 2023 college tennis season. We'll have coverage of all of it for you over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of this podcast. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for 
our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.